16. And when you find Matthew 16, let's stand together. Matthew chapter number 16. And we're going to pick up in verse number 13. Matthew chapter number 16. And look down at verse number 13. We'll read down through about verse 17, and then we'll pray and let you be seated. If you're visiting with us today, thank you so much for joining us at Central, and I pray our folks have made you feel welcome. And if I can do something for you, be sure to let us know. Matthew 16, verse 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John. The Baptist, some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He says unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And watch Jesus' response in verse 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being in church today, for life, for health, Lord, to be able to praise you for all that you've done. Father, thank you so much for the country we live in, for those who have helped secure this opportunity for us. I pray you'd bless them. And Father, as it's time that we open our hearts to receive what you've prepared for us, I pray that we'll set aside the cares of life just for a few moments here this morning and receive the message you'd have us to have. Lord, if there's one lost, I pray through your Holy Spirit, you'd let them know. For us, Lord, that are saved already, I pray you'd let us know where we stand with you and help us, Lord, get where we belong. Bless the invitation, I pray, your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm quickly approaching the magical age of 40, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I told someone the other day, I surrendered to preach at 15, and when you start preaching as a teenager, that sticks with you a long time. You're kind of the teenage preacher for a long time, and you still feel like the kid preacher. And uh, finally, when I, I turned 30, I felt like I was getting respected a little bit. And, uh, and then things went downhill from there. But no, uh, as I look toward 40, I'm thankful for the opportunity to, uh, to have another day of life and looking forward to another year of life here in just less than two months. Uh, but there is some things that have disappointed me uh, about myself as I've gotten older. Some things that I really just had to come to grips with that I really don't want to come to grips with. And I'm going to give you a few of them before I preach this morning. Uh, the first is that I'm not as young as I feel anymore. Uh, used to, we'd be there at camp and play football, play basketball. And in the mentality, I'm still that 18, 19, 22-year-old young man who can fly with the best of them. But I feel like the eagle has been grounded. And uh, I, just, uh, I just camp out under the basketball goal. If we played soccer, I want to be the goalie. I don't want to have to run or do anything. So I've had, to, I've had to accept the disappointing fact that I'm not as young as I feel anymore. I've also had to accept the fact that I do, in fact, need sleep. It was something for years I didn't think was true. I hear people talking about, I have to have sleep, I have to have sleep, but now I've come to the place to realize I have to have sleep. I at least have to have three or four hours, and that's somewhat disappointing for someone who likes to go, go, go all the time. I've also had another sad reality, and that is the fact that I can no longer eat what I want. That is probably the most disappointing I used to eat what I wanted, when I wanted, with as much as I wanted, and I'm realizing I cannot do that anymore. No coffee before bed. I'm getting acquainted with those nasty little tablets called Tums. Matter of fact, I polished one off last night, a whole box of them. I didn't eat them all at once, but I finished off my, I think I ought to put it in a museum somewhere, my first box of Tums. I have finished it off. I'm officially becoming an old person. I had to eat some of those before I went to bed last night because that buffalo chicken thing that my wife made yesterday, it was good, but man, it kind of lit me up down in here, and so I'm learning that I can't eat late anymore either. I mean, I used to have food camped out on my nightstand. It, it didn't matter. I'd drink coffee before I went to bed. I, you know, I wouldn't mind eating a burrito right before I lay down and realizing I can't do that anymore. I'm not as young as I used to feel. I, uh, I, I'm not as smart as I used to think I was. I need sleep. I can't eat what I want to eat. And here's probably one of the most, most poignant things that I've had to accept about getting older. is that I can't trust myself to remember 
I feel like I'm confessing this. This is, this is a monumental morning for me because I'm bringing these things out in the open. I've lived in denial now, I think about two years. I can't trust myself to remember things anymore. And since we've moved here and the workload's a little bit more diverse and a little bit more broader based, I've realized I sure can't trust myself to remember. And I've gotten to where I write notes all over everything. I told somebody the other day, I have three women in my life that help keep me straight. The first is Miss Leslie, the second is Miss Pam, and the third is Miss Siri. They look after me. Uh, they remind me of the things I need to do and things that I forgot to do oftentimes. That's the case of things. But oftentimes throughout the course of a day, even in service, handshaking time, somebody will ask me a question or they'll ask me to do something or ask me about something and I'll, I'll readily agree to it. And genuinely, I do desire to do those things, but I won't always write it down. So I've gotten where somebody asks me a question, I'll immediately go to this and I'll tell her, remind me tomorrow, 9 a.m., don't forget to do this. And so I'm thankful for it. You can use tech technology for evil, but I use it for good to help me remember the things that I can't trust myself to remember. I get a lot of questions asked in the course of a day, and I, I did some research the other day. It's very interesting about what professions have the most questions asked of them. It was quite revealing. On the average, a pastor is asked about 10 to 12 questions per hour. This is on average, the statistics that I found, 10 to 12 questions per hour. Government officials are asked 12 to 17 questions per hour. Doctors and nurses are asked 17 to 19 questions per hour. Preschool teachers are second of most at 19 to 22 questions per hour. Just in case you're wondering, number one question asked of preschool teachers is why is water wet? I'm still waiting on the answer to that one. Miss Stacy Matthews, we're going to have to ask her what the answer is to that question. Question number two is, where does the sky end? And question number three for preschool teachers is, what are shadows made of? When you find the answers to those questions, I'd love to know them. I've been asking them since preschool, but I'd love to know the answers to that. The number one person who's asked the most questions throughout the course of a day, their profession is a mother. Mothers are asked at least 23 plus questions per hour. Oftentimes, a mother can be asked over 300 questions per day by their children, by their husbands, by everybody under the sun. So oftentimes, look, we have to deal with a lot of questions, answer a lot of questions, and there's many questions we can't answer. Sometimes there's questions we don't want to answer. Uh, sometimes I'll get asked about a, a Bible question. I may not know the answer to it. I was preaching at a guest uh, at a friend's church years ago up, uh, up near Meridian. I'm sitting in the back during Sunday school time, and all of a sudden they had a question for the teacher, didn't know the quest, answer to the question. And so they asked the visiting preacher, and he didn't know the answer to the question either. I said, I'll just get back to you on that. Oftentimes we're asked questions we don't have the answer to. And sometimes it's all right to pass up a question. Sometimes it's all right if you don't get back to answering some of the meaning of life questions like why is water wet? But there are some questions this morning that we cannot get around and they must be answered. There's one question this morning I'm going to pose it to you that you cannot afford to forget. I have folks that will ask me questions from time to time, and I'll fail to write it down. If I've done that since I've been here, to you personally, I'd like to apologize. It was not on purpose. I promise. I'm still trying to get this thing figured out. I told our staff the other day, it's like putting a puzzle together in a tornado as you come in to pastor a church that has so much going on as we do. But there's one question we cannot afford not to answer, to forget, or even put off, and that's the question that is asked in verse number 13 and verse number 15. Notice the Bible says in verse 13, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 15, he asked Peter this question, But whom say ye that I am? Most important question any of us will ever answer, both lost and saved, is the question of Christ. That's the most important question that you must answer. Listen, you must answer it, and you must answer it in this lifetime. You're going to get the answer either way. I promise you, you will get the answer, and it'll be very clear to you, but you need to answer it in this life. And in Matthew chapter number 16, we see this familiar scenario unfold where Christ comes to Peter and he says, whom say ye that I am? 
Every one of us is going to have to answer the question of who is Jesus at some point in our life. Something you're going to have to decide. Before you answer, here's what I want you to understand this morning in the message. Before you answer, you've got to understand this is not a simple declaration of your mouth. As my wife asked me, honey, will you take out the garbage? Yes. But it doesn't always get done. It, it sometimes gets done. We'll put it that way. Sometimes it does get done. It's easy to make a declaration of our mouth. And we've been raised here in the South. And thank the Lord for the Bible Belt. We've been raised here in the South. But I fear this morning, many of us have a cultural Christianity. The Christianity in Christ, it's part of our culture. Listen close. But it's not part of our character. It's something that we know and it's something that we can speak of, but it's something that we may not know personally. It's important to understand this morning that the question of who Christ is and who Jesus is to you, it's not a a declaration of your mouth. It's a decision that you must make. It's an active decision where you must make. In verse 15, the Bible says, He saith unto him, But whom say ye that I am? Question mark. And after that question mark, Peter has to decide what his answer is going to be. So this morning, I want you to think about what Christ says in Matthew 7. Listen close. He says that on that day when we all stand there before him, many will say, Lord, Lord. They're going to speak to him. We we know who you are. Lord, Lord, we have heard of you. We've spoke of you. But he says, depart from me because I never knew you. It's one thing for you to know who Christ is and to be familiar with him. Look, we grew up in the South. We have in the Bible Belt. We've all been to church and Sunday school, and whether you've gotten saved or not, you're familiar with him. But the question is, is he familiar with you? You've got to answer the question of, whom say ye that I am? Who is Christ this morning? So lost or saved. Now listen, I'll explain the saved part before we're done. Lost or saved, we've got to answer the question of Christ. And I believe Peter shows us some very important uh, reasoning behind how we can do that and know that this morning. So let's jump into this. If we could look down at verse number 15 together, verse 14. The Bible says, and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So then he asks, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I want you to think about Peter and put yourself in Peter's place. Imagine Christ putting you on the spot. I don't know about you, but I don't like being put on the spot. To have to make a decision right off the bat. I don't like being pressured, and yet Christ is putting Peter on the spot. And I can imagine Peter feels a little bit uncomfortable. The same way when Christ asked him, lovest thou me? I mean, Christ is taking the message directly to the heart of Peter. By the way, it doesn't always feel good, but you better thank God that he's willing to take the question directly to us this morning. Because he didn't have to. He asked him, whom say ye that I am? Peter has to make a decision on who Christ is in his life. And it's time for him to come up with an answer. So I want you to think about this. Peter's been with him, he's seen enough, and he's heard enough, but now he has to decide and declare it. So number one, I want you to notice the conclusion of Peter. Notice the conclusion of Peter in verse 16. The Bible says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Now understand this morning that the conclusion that Peter is coming to, listen close, notice it's a very personal conclusion. He's not asking, what do you guys think of me? He's asking him, whom say ye? I want to know who you say that I am. So notice it's a personal decision that Peter's having to make on who Christ is. I want you to know I'm thankful this morning for Central Baptist Church. I'm thankful to say we at Central Baptist Church. I'm thankful when I'm out about town and I'm talking to folks about the Lord or at a gas station or at a restaurant and talking about our church. I say, we have a wonderful church. I love, listen, I love being a part of the family of God and the fellowship that we have as the family of God. But can I tell you this morning, the question of Christ is not a question that we can answer. It's a question that ye must answer. 
And the reason this morning it's a personal question and a personal conclusion is because the consequences are going to be personal. It's not a collective decision that we can make and decide who Christ is. That's something you have to decide on your own. Now, folks, listen, we can, vote in, uh, we can vote in politicians and we can vote in a congressman and all of these things. But ultimately, whether or not Christ is your Lord and Savior is a decision you have to make for yourself. I'd love to be able to make it for you. There have been people who was out door knocking this week sharing the gospel with people. And there's people that if I could make the decision for them, I would make it for them. But I can't. Because you see, they have to decide who Christ is for themselves. Folks, can I tell you why I'm saved on my way to heaven today? It's not because I had great parents who told me about the Lord. It's not because I went to a good church. I'm on my way to heaven because there was a time where Christ spoke to my heart and asked the question, who am I to you? And I had to decide whether he was my Lord and Savior or not. So do you. Every one of us will walk out of those four doors this morning deciding who Christ is. Be careful this morning on how you respond. I'll give you a quick scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to listen to this Christian this morning. Now we're talking to saved people. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I want you to hear the context of this scripture in verse number 10. The Bible says, For we, speaking to Christians, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now you say, Well, brothers Jeremiah, there's the word we. We're going to go up there together. We're going to hold hands at the judgment seat of Christ. Oh, how I wish that was so. I wish my wife is there and my mom and dad are there. Let's just hold hands and stand together. But listen close to the rest of the verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see, the decisions that we make, whether to be saved or not, that he is our Lord and Savior, and the decisions after we get saved, whether or not he's Lord of our life, these are decisions that must be made personally because the consequences are personal. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm glad I'm not going to stand at judgment for you. Some of you, I'm really glad. No, you better be glad you're not standing at judgment with me, but understand this, as a Christian, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what happens at the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a reflection of what you did with the question of who Christ was to you. Because I fear this morning, I think a lot of us know him as Savior, but he's not necessarily our Lord. There is a difference. 2 Peter 3.18, the Bible says, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He differentiates the two. And I fear this morning for a lot of saved people, he is our Savior, and we're thankful for that, but he's yet to become our Lord. Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can I ask you, number one, this morning, is he your Christ? You know what Christ means? It means the anointed one of God, the Messiah. That's what Christ means. When Christ comes to Peter and he says, who am I to you? Tell me, who am I to you? He says, you are the Christ. You're him. You're him. And not just a him, you are the him. Isn't it interesting? That little three-letter word makes such a difference. The. He did not say, I am a way, a truth, and a life. He says, I am the. The only one. So Peter is confessing to Christ, you are it. And I believe it's you. You see, this verse right here, verse number 16, this is Peter's profession of faith, okay? Not in salvation, but this is his statement of faith. This is Peter saying, hey, I believe you're the one. Here's my question this morning. It's the same question that he had for Peter. Who is Christ to you? Is he your Savior? Yes, he is the Savior, but is he your Savior? Have you come to the place where you say, you're mine? There's a song we sing. I love it. We sing it since I've been here. He is mine. I love to say he is ours, and he is yours, but I want to tell you, my favorite part is he's mine. Because there was a time in my life where he came to me, and he says, who am I to you? A lot of people, I believe Jesus is simply a, a lucky rabbit's foot for them. The only time we think about Jesus, talk about Jesus when we're in trouble or we need something, we pull out the lucky rabbit's foot out of our pocket. You know, when I was a kid, 
This is so politically incorrect. But when I was a kid, at the gumball machines, do you remember this? You could buy rabbit's feet in gumball machines. I'm thinking the millennial children of today would probably have a meltdown right there on the floor looking inside the gumball machine and there's all of these rabbit's feet inside of those little balls. Can you imagine? And sometimes we, listen, we lessen Christ down to just a rabbit's foot. I'll call you when I need you. Listen, listen, he better be more than a lucky rabbit's foot. He ought to be and better be the Christ. He's got to be your Messiah. He came, he died, and he rose again, and he is the Savior of the world, but you have to make him your Savior. And he asked Peter, who am I to you? The world we live in today, personal responsibilities has gone out the window. Socialism gives way to rather me take care of myself, and socialism basically says you take care of me. That's what socialism is all about. And by the way, it's never worked. I don't care how many times you reinvented it, it never works. And by the way, our veterans did not fight for socialism. They did not give up their time to go overseas, and uh, many of them go over there and were wounded and were away from their families. They did not go over there and sacrifice for socialism. Socialism doesn't work. That's just a freebie, by the way. We'll throw that one in just because it's Veterans Day tomorrow. But personal responsibility has gone out the window in America today, and we blame everybody else for our problems. But don't get too used to that. That's not the way God works. God holds us personally responsible. When you stand before God in heaven, we're not going to stand together some big socialistic group and share in the rewards and share in the denial of the rewards. No, you'll get or be denied based on what you did when the Holy Spirit of God spoke and dealt with your heart. Daniel Webster said this, my greatest thought is my accountability to God. My greatest thought is my accountability to God. Knowing that he would stand before God. Listen, number one, you'll stand before God lost or saved. Understand that. You either stand before the judgment seat of Christ as a Christian or the great white throne, the most terrifying sight you will ever see is the great white throne of judgment right before you're cast into hell. Now, I know that's not warm and fuzzy feeling, but that's the truth of the Word of God. I want you to go to heaven, so you need to understand you're not just going to disappear. There is a heaven and there is a hell, and you're going to go to one or the other. And the way that you decide which one you're going to is by answering the question of who is Christ to you? Is he your Savior? Now, Peter had to decide and come to the conclusion because Peter was going to be responsible for Peter. And we're going to be responsible for ourselves. Revelation chapter 20 Verse number 11 through 15, I'm going to read this for you. I'm not trying to scare you this morning. I'm telling you this because I love you, and I want you to know and to have what you could. Revelation chapter 20, verse number 11, the Bible says this, speaking of that time. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. and There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. Notice God's not picking out one or the other. God says they're all there. Stand before God. The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Notice, to their works. The sea gave up their dead, which were in it, and the death and hell were delivered up, uh, delivered up the dead, and which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. Notice that every man. Every man, individual, personal responsibility, you must answer who Christ is to you. Verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You see, the decision and the question of who Christ is, it's a personal decision because there's personal consequences. I pray this morning you can say as Peter did, thou art the Christ, you're my Messiah. You're not just a Messiah. You are my Messiah. This is what I believe. But here's what's interesting. You keep reading. He doesn't just say, thou art the Christ. That's the Messiah. If you keep reading, you'll notice he says, the son of the living God. The son of the living God. So not only is he confessing Christ and the person of Christ, he's also confessing, listen close, the position of Christ. 
He's not only saying you are my savior, he says you're the son of the living God. He's showing his exalted position in the heart of Peter. This is where he becomes his Lord. You see, as a Christian, he becomes our Messiah. He is the Christ, but Peter didn't just stop there. Peter says you're the son of the living God. Not only was he Peter's savior, but he was Peter's Lord. And I think this morning we miss that. You know what the definition of Lord is? Listen close. He to whom a person belongs and has the power of deciding. He to whom a person belongs and has the power of deciding. Can I ask you, is Jesus your Lord? He's your Savior. That's great. I'm so glad your name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. You can never lose it. Heaven's your home. Woo, that's wonderful. But here's my question. Who is Christ to you? Is he your Lord? Is he the one to whom you belong and has the power of deciding? Now, if you're like me, you're like, man, I cannot wait to get out of here. I'm kind of, ooh, kind of getting fidgety like that squirrel by the edge of the road. You know, I just got to get out of here. I want you to understand, it's better to answer this question now than later. You need to know whether he is your Christ and he is your son of the living God. He is your savior and he is your Lord. Peter says, you're it, and I put my faith and trust in you. So number one, we notice the question of Christ, understand the conclusion of Peter was a personal one. He says, you're the Christ, and you're the son of the living God. He says, not only are you my Savior, but you're my Lord. But the second thing is interesting. Look up, if you will, to verse number 13. It seems simple till we get to this spot right here. Verse 13, we see a little bit of the problem here because the question of Christ, when it comes into play, it's pretty simple in the fact where you decide who Christ is to you, but let me show you what starts making it confusing. The Bible says when he came to Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 14, and they said, some say thou art John. John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, this is where things start to get complicated, because watch, in the eyes of God, either he is your savior or he's not. That's how God sees things. What do he say in the book of Revelation? He says, you're either hot or you're cold. We create these, these fuzzy gray areas that really do not exist. Either you're hot or you're cold, you're saved or you're lost, you're in, you're out. That's the way God sees things. Now, I know that's not the way the world sees things, but that's the way God sees things. And by the way, that's how we will be judged. I learned years ago, if you want to win the contest, find out what the judges are looking for. That's why I quit beauty pageants. No, I was never in one, to be honest with you. My dad talked me out of it. No. If you're going to pass the test, you've got to know what's required. And when you stand before God, he's going to see you as saved or lost. Every person in this room this morning, you're saved or lost. That's it. There is no in-between. Well, I was saved. You're not even working on it. You cannot work on it. There's nothing that you have to offer to God that is acceptable payment. Nothing. Well, I'm working on being good. He doesn't take that kind of money. You know, it's like you ever go to a foreign mission field? Man, when I went over to to Uganda years ago, I had over $300,000 in my wallet. My wallet was bulging. I felt like somebody walking around there. Until you realize a Coke's $2,000. You realize you're not as rich as you think you are. You come back to the state, hop on a plane, fly back to Detroit, fly back into uh, Memphis. I think it was Memphis we landed in. And I still got some of that money in my pocket. Go up there to buy you a coat. Just lay you down a cold, hard Ugandan hundred. Boom. They're not impressed. They don't take it. It's like I get 50 coats for this $100 bill. That was a few cents in Ugandan money. They don't accept that form of payment. Okay? I don't care how much it's worth to me and how much it may be worth to somebody else. It's not worth to the one who's pay- we're paying for it. Now understand this, listen, if you're working your way to heaven and you think, hey, this is going to be good enough, understand, the Bible says it's not of works, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. There's nothing that we can do, listen, to buy our way into God's good graces. So you're either saved by the blood of Jesus or you're lost in your sin. That's it. That is it. This morning, Christ could be your savior, but understand you have to choose. What makes it complicated? 
To me, I'm a simple-minded person. Have you noticed that already? Six months. If you haven't noticed that I'm simple-minded, you're (laughs) simple-minded. I didn't mean to insult you, but that's just the truth. I just see things kind of the way that they are. If it's broke, let's fix it. If it's not broke, let's leave it alone. I mean, it just, I think it's this great philosophy in life. And no, I didn't learn that from a fortune cookie. They used to call it common sense. I go out door knocking. I'm talking to folks about the Lord. And I ask them, are you saved? If you died right now, are you sure you're going to heaven? No, I'm not sure. Great, I have an answer for that. Go right to the word of God. Share the plan of salvation. Not very complicated. Would you like to be saved? Yes. All right, let's listen. You just pray your head, bow your head and pray and trust Christ as your Savior. I can't. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. It's a simple problem, simple solution. What would you say? Well, you see, here's the way that I see it. Here's what I want you to see. This is where things start getting complicated. Everybody has an opinion on the matter. Notice he asked, whom do men say that I am? And some say that they're John the Baptist. Some Elijah, others Jeremiah, and some one of the prophets. So everybody had an uh, an opinion on the matter of what they thought and who they thought Christ was, and that's what confused everything. Remember this this morning. Confusion occurs when we replace God's truth for our opinion. That's where confusion occurs. Things start getting complicated when you, watch this. He says, you're lost. I sent a Savior. Accept and trust in the Savior, and you can be saved. But we complicate things and confuse things when we start mixing our opinion in on the mix. So number two, notice the confusion of man. The confusion of man. Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say this and some say that. But can I tell you what 1 Corinthians says in chapter 14, verse 33? The Bible says God's not the author of confusion. God, listen close, he's not the author of confusion, but sometimes we fail to read the rest of the verse. I'm guilty of it. Read the rest of the verse. The Bible says, but of peace. God's not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. So here, watch this. If there is a confusion in a matter, it's not God's fault. If there's confusion in the matter of salvation, it's not God's fault. He made it simple. He says, hey, understand who you are. Realize who Christ was and trust him to be what you couldn't be, and you can go to heaven. Pretty simple. But we start confusing things. I'll tell you, confusion is the call word for the modern church today. Confusion. We're confused on stuff. I look at our homes today. Now look, this principle, it goes across the board from salvation to your home, to your life, to your mind. Anytime that there is confusion, it's evidence we have replaced God's truth with our opinion. That's where confusion comes from. If we just stuck, listen, if we just stick with the script, this is God's truth. The Bible says thy word is truth. Now, if we just stick with the truth, we're going to be fine. But all of a sudden, we start tearing pages out of this book because it doesn't suit our lifestyle, and the only thing you can replace it with is our opinion. That's where confusion comes from. I look at our homes, and they're in disarray, and they're in confusion. Why? Because we're rejecting God's truth. We just accept his truth. There's no confusion there. I look in people's hearts today. There's so much confusion. Our minds, we're so confused in our minds, and we're dealing with struggles. Nothing wrong with struggling, but we struggle a lot, and it's self-inflicted. All we have to do is accept God's truth, and that resolves all the confusion. Folks, I tell you, as a nine-year-old kid, first time the Holy Spirit of God showed me that I was lost and needed to be saved. Preacher took the word of God. I remember we knelt there by the Xerox coffee machine in the preacher's office, and he took the plan of salvation, showed it to me. It was pretty simple. Pretty simple. You know why? Because God authored it. God's not the author of confusion. He's the author of peace. You want peace in your home? You want peace in your heart? You want peace in your mind? You want peace in the church? You want peace in this country? All we have to do is scrap our opinions and what I say and replace it with the truth of God's word. You say, Brother Jeremiah, that is too simple. No, God knows that we're but sheep and but dust. He's got to put it down on the bottom shelf. Some of us are too smart for our own good. We try to figure out God whose ways are past figuring out. He says, hey, I put this down on the bottom shelf for you this morning. If you want to have peace, I'm the author of peace. My son's the prince of peace. All you have to do is scrap your opinion for what I say is true. 
I double dog dare you. Try it. Look, we give the free sample people at Sam's more attention than we do God. They give you this little bitty cup of chicken salad. And who knows if it's really chicken? I'm telling you, if it's got bubbles in it, it ain't meat. I told somebody that the other day. You go slice some of these hams and slice some of these turkeys and there's bubbles. I don't think bubbles naturally occur in turkey breast. That's a freebie there too. You didn't know you were going to get a culinary, you know, while we're here. We go to the person at Sam's and they say, here, I want to offer you this. Try this. And we at least give them a chance. Now, you may take it down the coffee aisle and stow it up in there, you know, where they can't see it. You see that at Sam's. Isn't that horrific? People take those free samples and hide them out up in the shelves. I mean, find a garbage can. Come on. At least you good Baptist folks ought not be doing that, all right? We can leave it to all the other folks. Let them do that. But as Baptist folks, let's make sure we throw it in the garbage, okay? But God holds out peace. Says, try it. And we turn our nose up to him. No, thank you. No, thank you. He says here, I'm the author of peace, not the author of confusion. John says, some say this and some say that. Understand, you can come up with your theories all day long on who Christ is, but Christ is who he says he is. You start putting your trust in your opinion rather than who Christ is, you're in trouble. Proverbs 16, 25, we know this verse very well. The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. Do you know what that is? It just dawned on me. Light, you ever have those light bulb moments? Yeah. Mine doesn't glow very often. Every once in a while, it'll flicker. And you just have these moments to where everything comes together and then it goes away. Proverbs 16, 25, the Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And this morning, the light bulb came off. I'm sitting there at the couch. I said, that's an opinion. There is a way that seems right. That's our opinion. You know what they say about opinions, don't you? They're like noses. Everybody has them. Some are just bigger than the others. I know some people, their opinions are bigger than their nose. I know some people whose noses are bigger than their opinions, but we all have them. Do we not? Be careful. Listen close. There's danger when you start substituting your opinion for your obedience. There's danger. Be careful this morning when you start conjuring up what you think about what God has already thought. There's no need for us to redefine truth. He's already defined truth. The Bible says his word is truth. This is truth. All I have to do is stick with the script. Then there's peace. But wait a minute, wait a minute. I researched the Greek. I took Greek in college too, and it's really neat to talk about it. In the end, the truth doesn't change whether we know Greek or not. The truth, all it has to do is be accepted. I, aren't you glad we don't have to figure out truth? I can't figure out where to eat sometimes. My wife and I, two grown adults with driver's license and a child, and we can't even figure out where to eat sometimes. What makes us think we have the capability to figure out what is truth? God says, these poor folks, poor folks, they're sheep, they're but dust. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to give them the truth because they can't come up with the truth so all we have to do is accept the truth. So notice the confusion of man. They didn't know who Christ was, so they tried to come up with their own mind. There's a message I thought I was going to preach until this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this was going to be the, the, the root of the message. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, listen close to this if you don't mind. Remember we have tomorrow off as a holiday, so just relax, get comfortable. I promise you lunch will be there when you get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 23, listen to this verse. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth says, but we preach Christ crucified. Paul says, here's the message. Here's the truth. If you want to simplify it, boil it down, we preach Christ crucified. I mean, how complicated is that? <laughs> Listen close. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. The Jews kept stubbing their toe on the simple gospel of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. They kept stumping their toe on it. Why? Oh, my goodness. As I was studying this out the other day, preparing for another message, I thought to myself, you, you imagine what the Jews were expecting in a Messiah. They were looking for this king to come down and to lead them, and they would be his people, and they would overthrow everybody else. But no, he came as the meek servant who rode upon a donkey. You know why Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews? Christ was a stumbling block to the Jews because he came not as they thought he would come. What was the stumbling block? 
It wasn't Christ. It was what they thought. Ah, this guy, this guy, I mean, this is not what we were expecting. You know, for all these years, they wait for the Messiah, and look, I'd have been just like him. He's going to come back, and he's going to sit on the throne, and we're going to be his people, and everybody else is in trouble. But no, he comes born in a manger, hangs out with fishermen and sinners. He does not walk around with his nose stuck up in the air, holier than thou. And man, this, is, this guy's kind of a problem to me because it's not what I thought. Be careful letting your opinions become your stumbling block. I know people all the time. I'm so thankful I'm not brilliant because it's hard to stumble over a nickel. Sometimes our heads get so big that our opinions become stumbling blocks to our obedience instead of just doing what God said, because that's the truth. Peter says, some people say this, and some people say that. One day, I really want to write a book. I'm not going to do it, but I really would like to book about what they say. Isn't it amazing what they say? They say, if you eat this, you're going to die. You know, they say, if you eat this, that your eyes will turn colors. You eat, you know, if you don't do this, that'll happen. Peter says, here's what they say, but ultimately, can I tell you what matters? The question is, what do you say? He asked Christ, he asked Peter, whom say ye that I am. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block. The Bible says to the Greeks, it was foolishness. The Greeks were so, so enlightened that this lowly man dying for the whole world, that just could not be the answer. So it was foolishness. And so many of the Jews and the Greeks died and went to hell. Why? Because of self-inflicted confusion. It was simple. It was peace. They just had to accept what God said and God's truth. Luke chapter 5 and verse 5, we see where the disciples are out fishing. Jesus comes up at night. And he asks them if they had caught anything. <clears throat> and they said, we fished all the night and not caught anything. Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. And all of a sudden, Peter's head starts getting in his way. Peter says, Lord, we fished all night. Can I tell you what's in Peter's head? Okay, I'm going to give you my opinion. Here's what's in Peter's head. We are professional fishermen. We know what we're doing. Jesus just showed up. He was a carpenter. What do carpenters know about fishing? You know, I know a lot of carpenters that are good fishermen. But they're looking at Jesus and they're thinking to themselves, we fished all night. They're not biting. We're going to put up our nets. And just for a quick moment, Peter's opinion almost got in the way of his obedience. Can I tell you what would have happened if Peter had decided to go with what he said and other than what Christ said? He would have missed out. He would have missed out. Can I tell you why our families are missing out today at Central Baptist Church? Because we're going with our opinions rather than our obedience to what God has told us to do. I tell you why our church will miss out on all the drought of fishes. I mean, they brought in so many fish, the net was breaking. Wouldn't you like to have a great haul like that? Spiritually? Wouldn't it be neat if Central Baptist Church could, could bring in the nets and have thousands upon thousands of people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But we're going to have to get past our opinions first. Well, we know how to do things and we've got things figured out. Go ahead and go that route and see how it works for you. The good news is this morning that God's made it simple. He's not made it confusing. And if it's confusing, it's because our opinion is getting in the way. As a Christian this morning, there's nothing wrong. Listen, nothing wrong with having a good mind, a sharp mind to study. The Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved. But there's no need for us to try to figure out what God has already figured and preserved as his truth. A lot of times we go, <clears throat> we go to the doctor, we go to a mechanic, and we get a second opinion, don't we? You know, we go to the doctor and he says, okay, I need to amputate your toe. You know, and like, okay, before we do that, let me go see another doctor. And you get a car and they say it's going to be $5,000 worth of work. And we go get a second opinion. Look, it's okay on that stuff. When it comes to what God has already established is truth, his word is truth. There's no need for us to get a second opinion. And there's also no need for us to be the second opinion. We don't have to rethink this stuff. I mean, it's just simple. Let's just stick with the script this morning. So notice real quickly, I'll give you the last thing. Verse 14, it says, some say. Can I give you a word of advice this morning? Be careful what some say. Be careful what some say. Man, I told somebody the other day, with the advent of uh, social media, everybody became a philosopher and a photographer. Have you noticed that? 
Look, if you're going to be a Facebook philosopher, be sure your quote's a good one. You know, I mean, let, run that past somebody first and then make sure your grammar's correct. It drives my wife nuts when people's grammar is not correct and their philosophical quotes on Facebook, okay? Let's make sure we get that stuff right. But can I tell you, sometimes we're our worst enemy. We give ourselves bad advice when we had the answer right there in the Word of God. So number two, the confusion of man. Be careful when deciding who Christ is, don't bring in all of the opinions of everybody else. I know people who think they're saved because their mom told them about a prayer they prayed when they were five. She died right now. Are you sure you're going to heaven? Well, my mom said, and it's not about what mom says. You need to know the decision that you've made to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as yours. Say, well, my grandmother told me when I was a kid, man, I, she heard me praying. It doesn't matter. Do you know for sure that he is your Christ and your Messiah? The last thing I want to give you real quickly, I know some of our folks have to leave here shortly to get to the hospital. Pay close attention. We're going to look down verse number 17 before we go. Verse number 17, we see the last part of the question of Christ and how Peter came to his conclusion. Verse 17, when Peter says, thou art the Christ, you're my Messiah and you're my Lord. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. So how did Peter get to the place where he knew that this was the Messiah and made him his Lord? Well, it's very simple. The Father made it clear to him. The Father made it clear. He didn't have to go and ask, you know, John, what do you think? You think this guy's real? Let me go over here and ask my dad. Dad, do you think that he's really? No, the Bible says in verse number 17, it was revealed unto him by the Father which is in heaven. Can I tell you the most, listen, the most convincing answer for the question of Christ, here's what, listen close, I'm almost done, I promise. What is the Lord saying to you? The most convincing way to answer the question of who Christ is is what the Lord is saying to you in here. My wife's testimony, you know it. She gave it to the night in master clubs. When she was young, eight or nine, she'd made a profession of faith in Christ, got baptized at her church, and now she's 21. I'm preaching at uh, youth camp up, uh, uh, up in, uh, near Union, Meridian, Mississippi. I'm standing down front. My wife's sitting right back over here on the back right, and invitation time, she comes out and comes down, and I thought she was coming to pray. She probably needed to pray, get something right with God or something. So here she comes, and instead of veering off to the right or the left, she comes, Doo. she says, I need to talk to you. And me being the spiritual person that I was says, after church. <laughs> Horrible, isn't it? She says, I need to talk to you now. I'm like, oh, this is serious. What have I done? You know, my wife has never got on to me about taking out the garbage in church before, but I must have had a doozy. I must have forgot something really bad this time. You know, left a pin in my pocket in the washing machine or something. She says, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Oh, this, this is the visiting preacher's wife. The guest preacher's wife. She says, I'm not sure that I'm saved. And so... As the good husband, the good spiritual leader of my home that I am, we went back to the back and I said, honey, I think you just need to rededicate your life to God. I'm trying to talk her out of it. So we prayed together. So let's pray together. Lord, help Leslie, rededicate her life, get close to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I looked up for my prayer and there are tears streaming down her face. She doesn't say a word. She just does this. I said, you're lost? What? You know, you thought you were, and I thought you were, and oh, how do you know? The Lord's made it clear. I'm lost. In spite of what I tried to tell her, I tried to tell her she was saved. In spite of what I tried to tell her, and in spite of what she thought, she was lost. How did she know that? Number three, the conviction of God. God let her know. God let her know. Now, folks, I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation today. But you don't have to convince me. Look, you don't have to convince me. But what is that still small voice in your heart saying? Well, you don't understand. I, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid and all that. That's, that's fine. That's fine. Look. But what is the Lord saying? What is he saying? He let her know. How did Peter know? 
He says, flesh and blood hath not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. The answer to the question of Christ, listen, the answer to it, God will give you the answer. It's like an open book test. You ever take one of those? All those great, got all the answers right there in front of you. You just got to go with the answer that's already been given to you. Whether you're saved or not, in spite of what you say and others tell you, the Lord's going to let you know. He's going to let you know. And then that's when you have to answer the question. The other day we were watching the Andy Griffith show. And uh, old Barney, bless his heart, you know, old Barney was going to recite the preamble, okay? And he sits down and he says, all right, I remember the preamble. I've got it locked up in the old steel trap. He sits down and he says, give me the first word. And he says, we. He goes, we. Uh, Give me another word. The, 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 we, the. People, people, yeah, that's right, people. And Andy gave him the whole thing. He says, do you need to go over to get? Nope, got it locked away in my steel trap right here. Andy had to give him every bit of it. It's easy to remember it when somebody's giving you the answer. Can I tell you what the answer, whether or not you're lost or saved this morning, it's not what you keep telling everybody. It's what God already knows. That's all that matters. You may know of him. The question this morning is, does he know you? The Bible says in 1 Timothy, real quickly, chapter 2, verse number 4, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Now listen close. I'm, I'm done, okay? Have all men. He said, the Bible says this is the will of God that all men will be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice the word all. Every one of us in here were part of all. So God wants us to be saved. And in John chapter 12, verse 32, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men. So we know it's the will of God that all men be saved. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men. So here's what that means. God's going to let you know. At some point in your life, I pray it's this morning, if you're lost, God's going to let you know just what he let Peter know. The question is, what will you answer? I tell you, every person in hell this morning, at one point in their life, experienced the conviction of God. Every person. Because he said, it's his will that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And he says, I'll draw all men. So every person was asked the question, who am I to you? Who am I to you? And they says, I'll answer it later. And some never live to see the later. Can I ask you this question this morning? Who is Christ to you? Can you say you're the Christ? You're my Savior. You're, listen, you're my anointed of God. You're my Redeemer. That's what Peter was saying. You're mine. Then he went on to say, the Son of the living God. He says, not only are you my Savior, but you're my Lord. Can I ask you, Christian, is he your Lord? Or is he just your lucky rabbit's foot? Is he just something that we put on our bumper stickers and the bracelets that we wear? Or is he who and what he's supposed to be in our life, the owner and possessor and decider of all things? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? The question this morning is really simple, is who is God to you? And this is a question that is best answered now than later. There's a rich man in hell this morning. He's been there 2,000 years. He said, you believe that? Absolutely, because it's in God's truth. And oh, he knows that Jesus is the Savior. He knows that Jesus is the Lord, but it's too late because he missed the moment of decision. So I'm going to ask our pianist to come this morning, our song leader come. It's time to answer the question of Christ. Who is he to you? If you're lost, you can be saved today. If you're saved and he's not Lord, he can become Lord today, but you must decide. Heads are bowed and